Hey guys, how's it going? Thanks for tuning in to the YFYI podcast. On this episode, we're celebrating the birthday of the iPhone. It's been 13 short years since the iPhone went on sale. It was June of 2007. That was the day that everything really changed. So I'm excited to share this episode with you get into some of those uh, presentation highlights from the original Steve Jobs iPhone presentation. Also, jump back into some of the other pivotal moments before the iPhone in the history of building the great company Apple and in the history of Steve Jobs. So I think this episode is packed with a lot of fun facts, exciting things. Excited to share it with you. Hope you enjoy. Can't wait to hear your feedback. So now let's get into the podcast. How is everybody doing this morning? Good morning. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're back, we're back, we're back. Story time is back. I'm excited to be back. Had a couple of days off. Did you guys miss me? Haven't been live for a few days. I know I missed you guys. I've been on the road, so I had to take a few days off from story time. Didn't record. Didn't do any episodes since uh, last, I guess it was Tuesday, because Wednesday I was I was in flight. I was flying. I uh, went out to Austin to visit our Austin team, visit our Austin salon. But I'm excited to be back for story time. Today's going to be a special day because it's a day that we're going to look back on in, in history. Um, today we're celebrating a birthday, so we'll talk about that a little bit. But I'm excited to be back if you're just jumping on the stream, whether you're on Facebook, you're on Instagram, you're on one of the Facebook pages, uh, share the stream, invite some friends. We're going to get started here in just a second. Um, Just excited to be back, been on the road, Uh, went out to Austin, hung out there with the team, the salon team out there for a few days, got to check in, got to see everybody. I hadn't been out there since before Corona, so we're talking... Um, like two and a half, three months, so March, because I left Austin right before we shut all of our businesses down, so that was right before, um, yeah, right before really everything started shutting down that week of March 15th, so I hadn't been out there since, so I was excited to get back out there, excited to see the team, um, to check in with everybody, to see how everybody's doing, and I'm excited to be back here with you guys for this episode of Storytime. The last series that we were kind of going through, we're studying Apple, studying the late Steve Jobs, the visionary, um, the guy that created with his partner Steve Wozniak, the great company that we all know, Apple Computer. At the time, it was called Apple Computer. Now it's just referred to as Apple. They're so cool, they were able to drop the computer and just go Apple. And we know they're much more than computers. I mean, when they started, you know, they in the 70s, they were just computers. Um, there was that very first one that I had showed uh, a couple of episodes back, and we talked about that that janky version of the Apple, the Apple One. Um, and then, you know, one of the things the great Steve Jobs did was he was able to kind of see around corners. He was a visionary um, to the next level, you know, so a lot of us think about being visionaries and what a visionary is He was visionary next level because he really was able to see around corners and really kind of almost get in the mind of the Consumers and see like what people might and he was anticipating what people might be anticipating He was anticipating what people wanted before they even knew what they wanted um, So that was part of the magic of Steve Jobs to be able to see around corners, uh, to be able to bring products to market that people were like, once they saw it, they were like, oh, this is amazing and this is gonna change the way um, I do a lot of things. And so today we're celebrating a birthday. So we're celebrating, it's today, June 29th, it's 13 years since the original, if you can believe this, the original iPhone went on sale. And when you think back to your first experience with an iPhone, if you're, you know, I was a late adopter. If you were an early adopter, maybe you had the iPhone, you know, early. Uh, maybe you, um, you were one of those first people. But 2007, June 29th, is when that first 
you know, version one of the iPhone went on sale. Um, so what that means is now 13 years later, you know, here we are and we've seen so many iterations of the iPhone. We've seen so many um, game changing features, upgrades, where it's been really it's been a challenge because a lot of the innovations, you know, for some we're like, well, that's that's um, minuscule. We don't see a big thing. It's I mean, the way the phone looks, how much more is it going to change? And the image that I threw up, which you can see if you're on my if you're on the Facebook feeds, you can check it out um, in the background. But I also threw it up on my Instagram story was that very first version of an iPhone. And it has changed. I mean, sizes, it goes bigger, it goes smaller. Um, but 13 years later, here we are. And it truly was a remarkable feat. Now, it was announced in January of 2007, but it didn't actually go on sale until uh, June of 2007. And over the years, if you're trying to build a product or you have a product or you think about different you know, product ideas, um, but just to give you some of the, the history on the iPhone, it arguably, not too arguably, is the most successful uh, consumer product ever created. I mean, when you look at the iPhone, it goes on sale 13 years later, they've sold over 2.2 billion iPhones over 2.2 billion iPhones, and we're talking close to a trillion, with a T, a trillion dollars in sales. And today, um, the iPhone still makes up 50% of Apple's sales. Um, so unbelievable feat, unbelievable product. You know, I'm as I'm sitting here right now, you know, I'm immersed in Apple products. I'm using one, two, three, four, if you count my watch, five Apple products um, just in this show because we're live on Twitter broadcasting there, the audio version. We're recording a podcast using an Apple product. We're recording video and broadcasting the two different our Facebook pages using an Apple product. I'm talking to you guys directly on Instagram using an Apple product. Um, so I'm totally immersed. And I was a late adopter. You know, 2007, you know, when it came out, I was just getting going. I finished my beauty school journey 2005. I'm in the salon. I'm working. I'm working in the school. It's 2007. iPhone comes out. I'm like, whatever. What's the big deal? I think I was rocking like Nokia's back then. Um, I never, uh, you know, I didn't get on early. And it probably wasn't until a few years later um, that I adopted. I don't remember my first like time getting an iPhone with the first one that I I ever had was, um, but ever since, once I got it, then I understood. Because I'm like, it's a phone, what does it do? Does it make phone calls? Wow, that's 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 unique. So I didn't really get it, I didn't really know what the big hype or the big deal was, um, but once I got one, I understood. Um, and it wasn't the physical, yes, the physical, the aesthetics, which Steve saw right away, especially in that first uh, presentation when they came out with that first Apple and he's like looking around at that trade show and he's like, you know, our product aesthetically needs to look better. Um, he looked around, he was thinking about the packaging, he was thinking about, you know, the um, the exterior, not just what's on the inside because he had the magic ace, right? He had Steve Wozniak, one of the greatest engineers um, of, of the world and he had him designing the inside, the guts, but then Steve's looking at the outside. He's like, if this is gonna be a consumer product, um, it needs to look as good as on the outside, as good as it performs and as it is on the inside. And so that's one of the things, and that's where that dynamic duo of having that marketing business mind and having that artistic um, ability and having that in two you know, founders, co-founders of the company really helped set them up for success. So that's a you know a big important part when you start thinking about companies and we start talking about other companies, um, you're going to hear there's a lot of that reoccurring theme. You have these these uh, minds that will come together, these teams that will come together, and it's a it's assembly of teams and it's assembly that really takes innovation to the next level. So I'm excited to continue the story, continue the journey. I'm going to talk about a couple of pivotal points in Apple's history. Um, on the march to the iPhone, and there were a lot before the iPhone. You know, the Apple One, Apple Two, Apple One comes out in 1976. Immediately, Wozniak's starting to think about this second version, um, right? And, and so the Apple Two is going to come out. But along the way, 
there were um, some other things personally. <clears throat> and when you think about focus, you know, what it's going to take to do anything um, great or amazing, it's going to take focus. And the ability for you to focus on something for a long period of time is going to determine um, what you're able to get done, how successful uh, that thing is going to be. And our ability to focus, you know, that's one of the biggest, I think, things that I've discovered when I study some of these these great minds and these business builders and these visionaries and these people that have shifted the way culture works, the way the world works, um, through their products, through their ideas, is there's this common thread amongst them is their ability to focus for, for uh, long periods of time, their ability to continually lock in like laser-like and zero in on something and stay on that something, that problem, that challenge until it's solved. And your ability to focus is going to be no different. Whether you're trying to, you know, become, you know, the next level in your, your company, move up the ladder, the CEO, whether you're trying to build something, whether you're trying to, whatever you're trying to do, your ability to focus on that um, is going to determine that. And as Steve's life was starting to twist and turn, they developed the Apple II. Um, he also was uh, living at the time, you know, with his friends and um, he had his buddy Daniel Kotke there, um, obviously Steve Wozniak's there, and he's in this kind of romantic relationship, it's on again, off again, um, with Chrisanne Brennan. And when he got back from India, you know, they spent, you know, time together at uh, his friend Robert. Remember Robert Friedland's farm? He's, they spent time together there. Um, so they're in this on again, off again, but he's really, you know, he's trying to build this company, right? So that's kind of where his attention goes. Um, where your your attention goes, your energy flows. And where your energy flows, right, your money grows. Um, so he's trying to build a company. And so, you know, he has this relationship. It's off again, on again, but he's really like trying to stay focused on his business. And he does, um, he does that, obviously. You know, the company's growing. Um, but we're going to pick up there and share a little bit about this relationship. So this is, again, where I'm reading from a lot of different sources, but the main source, you know, Steve Jobs, um, this book here, Walter Isaacson. So great book. If you haven't read it, you can get audio, you can get physical copy. Um, just incredible, incredible piece of work. So ever since they had lived together in a cabin during the summer after he graduated from high school, Chrisanne Brennan had woven in and out of Jobs' life. When he returned from India in 1974, they spent time together at Robert Friedland's farm. Steve invited me up there, and we were just young and easy and free, she recalled. There was an energy that there was an energy there that went into my heart. When they moved back to Los Altos, their relationship drifted into being, for the most part, merely friendly. He lived at home and worked at Atari. She had a small apartment and spent a lot of time at Coben Chino's Zen Center. By early 1975, she had begun a relationship with a mutual friend, Greg Calhoun. She was with Greg, but went back to Steve occasionally, according to Elizabeth Holmes. That was pretty much the way it was with all of us. We were sort of shifting back and forth. It was the 70s after all. So they got this kind of free-flowing kind of relationship. And, and Steve is, you know, that's right. They're right on that verge of uh, launching the first Apple computer. And so now when they get back together, things are good. And then they're out of a relationship. And then they're in a relationship. And then they're out of a relationship. So... Steve, you know, they move into this house and she ends up moving in and she moves in this house with them. And so their, you know, kind of relationship, obviously there, you know, it gets stirred up again. Um, so living in the house at times rekindled the physical relationship between Brennan and Jobs. And within a few months, she was pregnant. Steve and I were in and out of a relationship for five years before I got pregnant, she said. We didn't know how to be together. And we didn't know how to be apart. When Greg Calhoun hitchhiked from Colorado to visit them on Thanksgiving 1977, Brennan told him the news. Steve and I got back together, and now I'm pregnant. But now we are on again and off again, and I don't know what to do. So Calhoun noticed that Jobs was disconnected from the whole situation. 
He even tried to convince Calhoun to stay with them and come to work at Apple. Steve was just not dealing with Chrisanne or the pregnancy, he recalled. He could be very engaged with you in one moment, but then very disengaged. There was a side to him that was frighteningly, frighteningly cold. When Jobs did not want to deal with a distraction, he sometimes just ignored it, as if he could will it out of existence. At times, he was able to distort reality not just for others, but even for himself. In the case of Brennan's pregnancy, he simply shut it out of his mind. When confronted, he would deny that he knew he was the father, even though he admitted that he had been sleeping with her. I wasn't sure it was my kid because I was pretty sure I wasn't the only one she was sleeping with, he told me later. She and I were not really even going out when she got pregnant. She just had a room in our house. Brennan had no doubt that Jobs was the father. She had not been involved with Greg or any other men at the time. So he's got this kind of, you know, maybe it's denial, you know, maybe it's pressure, maybe it's, you know, he, you know he's young, they're starting a company, he doesn't really know how to handle it, whatever it was, he's got this denial. Uh, he does get over that. Um, he does, you know, admit that he's her father. Um, she goes to the farm to have the baby. Um, and then he comes and sees her and then they come up with a name um, and they end up naming her uh, Lisa. And so Lisa uh, Nicole Brennan, she wasn't given her last name Jobs. They weren't married and that's happened. You know, people have, you know, people maybe become, uh, you know, if you're in a relationship, you know, I know from my own experiences, having a last name that's not your biological last name or biological father's last name. I mean, so that's what they decided to do. So Lisa and Nicole Brennan, so they have um, they have the baby and then he's kind of in and out of her life throughout her life and throughout his life. Um, so that's some of the things that are going on. And when you think about, okay, all this is happening, um, but he's also trying to you know, build this company, Apple Computer, with his, you know, buddy, with his partner, with his co-founder, Steve Wozniak. And so working on that and working on um, the Apple II, it all kind of is happening at the same time. Now, the Apple II is what really launches them into the next you know, stratosphere launches them into the into the next level. So a little bit about the Apple II. So the Apple II took the company from Jobs Garage to the pinnacle of a new industry. Its sales rose dramatically from 2,500 units in 1977 to 210,000 units in 1981. So in four years, in four years, they go from you know, 2,500 units to 200,000 units. Um, and that's what, you know, when you look at these tech companies and you see the numbers and you see sometimes their, how their valuations are just astronomical. It's like, why are they valued so high? Why are they worth so much? Well, it's because of the growth, right? If you have any company that can, has the ability that can grow like that, that's gonna be what we call in business a unicorn. Right, because it's like you know, it's a very rare. <laughs> does it really exist? Is it really possible? Um, but that's what's happening, and so Apple is definitely a unicorn, and the Apple II could not um, remain successful forever, and he knew that. So he's very restless, and he knew that no matter how much he had done to package it from power cord to case, it would always be seen as Wozniak's masterpiece. He needed his own machine. More than that, he wanted a product that would, in his words, make a dent in the universe. At first, he hoped that the Apple III would play that role. It would have more memory, the screen would display 80 characters across rather than 40, and it would handle uppercase and lowercase letters. Indulging his passion for industrial design, Jobs decreed the size and shape of the external case, and he refused to let anyone alter it, even as committees of engineers added more components to the circuit boards. The result was piggybacked boards and poor connectors that frequently failed. 
When the Apple III began shipping in May 1980, it flopped. Randy Wigginton, one of the engineers, summed it up. The Apple III was kind of like a baby conceived during a group orgy. <laughs> and later, everybody had this bad headache. And there's this bastard child, and everyone says, it's not mine. But then Jobs had distanced himself from the Apple III and was thrashing about for ways to produce something more radically different. At first, he flirted with the idea of touchscreens, but he found himself frustrated. At one demonstration of the technology, he arrived late, fidgeted a while, then abruptly cut off the engineers in the middle of their presentation with a brusque, thank you. They were confused. Would you like us to leave? One asked. Jobs said yes, then berated his colleagues for wasting his time. Then he and Apple hired two engineers from Hewlett-Packard to conceive a totally new computer. The name Jobs chose for it would have caused even the most jaded psychiatrist to do a double take, the Lisa. Other computers had been named after daughters of their designers, but Lisa was a daughter Jobs had abandoned and had not yet fully admitted was his. Maybe he was doing it out of guilt, said Andrea Cunningham, who worked at Regis McKenna on public relations for the project. We had to come up with an acronym so that we could claim it was not named after Lisa the child. The one they reverse engineered was Local Integrated Systems Architecture. And despite being meaningless, it became the official explanation for the name. Among the engineers, it was for, referred to as LISA, an invented stupid acronym. Years later, when I asked about the name, Jobs admitted simply, obviously, it was named for my daughter. The LISA was conceived as a $2,000 machine based on a 16-bit microprocessor rather than the 8-bit one used in the Apple II. Without the wizardry of Wozniak, who was still working quietly on Apple II, the engineers began producing a straightforward computer with a conventional text display unable to push the powerful microprocessor to do much exciting stuff. Jobs began to grow impatient with how boring it was turning out to be. So he's got this Lisa, right? He names it for his daughter, um, which, I mean, I guess, you know, it's cool because it's like at least there's an acknowledgement there. And years later, he clearly acknowledged it. Um, so they have this, but there's this kind of thing where he's like, I want to create something different. I want to create something special. You know, he wants to kind of separate a little bit there from Wozniak, and you can kind of see that happening there. So Wozniak's working on the Apple II. They're trying to get this new project, Lisa, and it's starting to turn into a disappointment, and, you know, things, you know, aren't really uh, going well. And then, they're looking at the two where they're like, all right, maybe we should just focus on this. You know, is the Lisa gonna be able to take off? Um, is it gonna be able to do anything? Um, so that's kind of where they're at. Now, when Jobs has, you know, his first big hit, you know, speaking of think different, um, we're gonna, you know, take a look at what that sounded like and what that looked like. Because that occurred a few years later um, when, you know, the Lisa's kind of flopping around, um, the Apple II is kind of flopping around, and Jobs wants to start a consumer, you know, kind of consumer product. You know, there's a lot of these they're building. These are kind of supercomputers, especially at this time, where they're being used by people who really need computers um, to do certain kinds of work. But he starts thinking about like a consumer product just for like the everyday user, and he starts you know, kind of thinking about like what that would look like. And I mean, the Lisa and the Apple II, I mean, they have some sales, but aren't really uh, breaking any records, aren't really game-changing products, aren't really, um, you know, making making the, um, the company, you know, be where Steve sees it. Um, so the Apple II, you know, that got introduced in 77. 
right? And that was at the first West Coast Computer Fair. And then um, it differs from its major rivals at the time, the TRS-80 and the Commodore, because the of its character, excuse me, character, cell-based color graphics and open architecture. While early Apple II models used ordinary cassette tapes as storage devices, they were superseded by the introduction of a five and a quarter inch floppy disk drive and interface called the Disk 2 in 1978. So, you know, disk drive, floppy disk drive, I remember those, right? They had those when I was in school, like early on, disk drives. Um, so by the end of the 70s, the end of the 1970s, Apple had a staff of computer designers and a production line. And they introduced the Apple III in 1980. Uh, they're really, in, with the Apple III, they're trying to compete with this company at the time they called Big Blue, IBM, right? And they, and they wanna, they're in the business of computer, uh, computing in the computer, like in the corporate market, right? So they're really, you know, in there. And then Jobs, and several Apple employees, including human computer interface expert Jeff Raskin, they visit Xerox. The company Xerox, um, you know, famous for their Xerox copy machines. So they visit Xerox in December of 79 and they see this demonstration of the Xerox Alto. And so the Apple engineers, they're watching for three days, they're checking this thing out. And they have access to the facilities and return for buying so many shares, they give them full access. Um, and then they're starting to get ideas. And when you start thinking about this, you know, you let somebody in your, your company, they're able to pick and look and choose and see and what, and so they get these ideas and they, they you know, some, you know, artists copy, great artists, as Steve would say, great artists steal. So they're like picking these ideas and seeing like, what could they do? And so Steve starts thinking about the future of computers and he starts thinking about something called a GIU, which is a graphical user um, interface or GUI, not GIU. That would be graphical interface user, graphical user interface. So he starts thinking about this. And he's like, this is where computers going. This is the future of computers. And so this is the early 80s. And as he's looking at this and he gets back and so in 1982, um, he gets pushed out of the team Lisa. So Lisa, the computer that they were building named after his daughter. Um, there's some fighting going on with the engineers and you know Steve is a little bit like overbearing. He's like, we're gonna do it like this. We're not gonna do it like that. So he gets pushed off of that team. And so then um, he takes over a little project that Wozniak and Raskin have going on, which is low cost computing project called the Macintosh. And the Macintosh is really the game first of many uh, game-changing, you know, projects that Steve Jobs um, gets involved with, leads, conceives of, um, and really that's where things change. And so, as they're developing this, there's a there's a you know a, a new sense of like we're doing something here. So the Macintosh is gonna be the game changer. That's gonna be the really first kind of consumer friendly for the everyday user. Um, and they wanna get these into people's hands because it can do things. You can draw with it, the characters. Um, so that's really what kind of sets you know, Steve on this path of, of thinking different. You know, so they're working on the Macintosh and the Macintosh is, um, it's launched in 84. And there's this whole campaign around it um, and there's this unveiling, and this is where Steve, really the presenter, kind of comes into play. And Steve Jobs has been considered one of the greatest um, presenters of all time. And you can go on YouTube and look up some of his presentations when he introduced the iPod, when he introduced the iPhone. 13 years ago, today it went on sale, but he introduced it in January. So when he introduces these products, there's a lot of fanfare. I've actually gone and watched some of these uh, presentations. You can go on apple.com, you can watch their worldwide developer con uh, conference, WWDC, when they unveil some of these products. They're not the same as when he did it. I mean, they're still cool, but like his presentations, there's books out there. Carmine Gallo wrote How to Present Like Steve Jobs. I read those books because he just had a way 
to present something so complex and to get and to make it so simple and to get you so excited like you had to have it like you're like and that's you know you see even even today i mean the the allure is still there where people line up around the block for the release of the new apple iphone or i whatever uh, but steve was really that that presenter and the way that he would present things and in a clear and a simple way even though it was like game changing he didn't get into like the technology his slides his presentation style and his his way of delivering um it was just it's pretty remarkable so i definitely if you haven't ever seen any of his presentations i would definitely go look up like steve jobs presentations look at the the iphone is actually one of my favorites um, when he introduced that 2007 13 years ago Again, I didn't get on board with the iPhone until probably, I don't know, three years later. But recently, um, in the past, you know, five to ten years, you know, as I started my journey just as a as a presenter um, and, you know, owning and building a company, you know, I started looking into Steve Jobs for a lot of reasons, just as a visionary and as a leader, but also in his presentation style and how he would deliver these game-changing products and always be at the forefront of everything. And I came across some of those presentations, and that's definitely one of my faves. Uh, when he introduced it and he was talking about it, I just remember him saying it over and over and over. He's like, you know, today, he's like, we're introducing, um, th he's like talking about introducing three things. He's like, you know, a... A music you know a music player he's like a, a phone and a internet browser and he's like and he says it again a music player you know it's a phone internet browser and he starts saying it over and over and over and over and all of a sudden it's like it's like yeah he's like this isn't three different things he's like this is one thing it's a music player, it's a phone, and it's an internet browser, and he's like, are you getting it? And people like start, they're like, wait a minute, these aren't three products? This is like one thing? And then boom, he hits them with the iPhone, and it's like, bam, game changer, right? Um, but this whole process of him, um, let me see if I can find that. This whole process of him going through um, his presentations and delivering uh, these things, it's, I mean, it's pretty remarkable the way that he was able to do it um, and the way that he was able to consistently do it, not just do it, consistently do it. And so these are some of the things that, you know, he's ha he has going on as he's, as he's battling this. Let me go, hold on a second here. Can you go to YouTube.com without going to something else? That's all I want to do. All I want to do is go to YouTube. See if I can find this. Um, but with that, you know, game-changing ability to deliver, um, with that, you know, getting people excited about an idea. Those are some of the, the characteristics. Those are some of like his, um, his gifts. So let me see, iPhone, I'm gonna see if I can find this for you guys. And now we're into the 11, 11 max, 11 this, 11 that. But who would have thought, you know, 13 years ago um, that we would be, you know, taking taking a note on one of the most if you ever buy epic, all right, relax, one of the most epic presentations of a product um, that we had ever seen. Who Nobody thought that at the time. I mean, this was the first of its class now there were phones out there you know and so when you think about is you know apple's like late to the game were they really because when you think about what he developed with the phone i mean he literally got an entire industry to think different and we're going to come back to that in a second um, but he did i mean just with the way that he presented the phone the way that he presented the idea and the concept I mean, it was a it was a game changer. So I'm gonna see if I can pull up part of that uh, presentation here. And how he builds the case. This is him at his at his prime. 
Why do we need a revolutionary user interface? I mean, here's four smartphones, right? Motorola Q, the BlackBerry, Palm Trail, Nokia E62, the usual suspects. And what's wrong with their user interfaces? Well, the problem with them is really sort of in the bottom 40 there. It's, it's this stuff right here. They all have these keyboards that are there whether you need them or not to be there. And they all have these control buttons that are fixed in plastic and are the same for every application. Well, every application wants a slightly different user interface, a slightly optimized set of buttons just for it. And what happens if you think of a great idea six months from now? You can't run around and add a button to these things. They're already shipped. So what do you do? It doesn't work because the buttons and the controls can't change. They can't change for each application, and they can't change down the road if you think of another great idea you want to add to this product. Well, how do you solve this? Hmm. It turns out we have solved it. We solved it in computers 20 years ago. We solved it with a bitmap screen that could display anything we want, put any user interface up, and a pointing device. We solved it with the mouse, right? So as you guys are kind of hearing this and listening a little bit on this, so what's happening, right, is he's going into his presentation and he's really kind of differentiating like what we've done, um, what we need to do, what exists now. And he was showing like all the, the uh, current phones and they have those little, little tiny ass keyboards with those small, now I've got some big hands, right? So you could imagine you know me with one of those phones and these buttons I mean they're smaller I mean even looking at like a TV remote you know you can see like how small some of these buttons can be but uh, you remember those phones like the Blackberry and the, the I think it was called what did they call it, it was the, is it the the something keyboard I forget if anybody knows leave it in the comments or something but whatever that keyboard you know was but you can't I couldn't use those and then you have the thing and it slides up so you got all the numbers and it slides up in the keyboards like underneath I remember having one of those phones um, so he's kind of talking about that and you know building a little bit of uh, the case for what this new um, this new product is gonna be and what this new product is gonna be able to do and I want to see if I can find the part where he um, where he shares the Let's see. Now we're going to start with a revolutionary user interface. And that changes everything. And Apple has been, well, first of all, one's very fortunate if you get to work on just one of these in your career. Apple's been very fortunate. It's been able to introduce a few of these into the world. In 1984, we introduced the Macintosh. It didn't just change Apple. It changed the whole computer industry. So as we're kind of listening in on this presentation, so this is, you know, the buildup, right? So he's kind of building, you know, first he's talking about in 84, he's given the timeline. That was when the Macintosh came out, which we had just talked about, which its predecessors, the, you know, the Apple one, the Apple two, that kind of laid the groundwork, the Lisa computer. Um, so 84 is really where things started to shift. So that Macintosh computer, then in 2001, now he's talking about the iPod. It didn't, just, it didn't just change the way we all listen to music. It changed the entire music industry. Well, today, we're introducing three revolutionary products of this class. So... This is where things are, this is like probably my favorite part as he's kind of getting into this. Um, and notice that first part that we listened to, 
that you know that was after this that was after this announcement so this this actually came before and so at the beginning it's like here's what we're going to introduce and this is why it's going to matter you know so sometimes i mean you might reverse that whole approach but the way that he does it and the way that he he gets the excitement up front you know and then boom explains like why this is really going to matter i think is part of the genius of his presentation skills so let's listen to this uh last little bit here the first one is a widescreen ipod with touch controls So he's presenting this as three different products. So the first one, right, a widescreen iPod with touch controls. And people are there, you know, they got to keep everything quiet. I know there were some talks of like leaks and people saw and heard and, you know, but trying to keep things quiet so you can have a moment like this is really difficult. Um, but as he's introducing these products, people are still thinking, okay, these are three different products. A new iPod, awesome. What else you got for us, Steve? So that's the second product, the revolutionary mobile phone. What else you got for us, Steve? And the third is a breakthrough internet communications device. Okay. So, Tell me more. Three things. A widescreen iPod with touch controls, a revolutionary mobile phone, and a breakthrough internet communications device. Okay. Okay. An iPod. A phone and an internet communicator. An iPod. A phone. Are you getting it? These are not three separate devices. This is one device. And we are calling it iPhone. Today, today, Apple is going to reinvent the phone. And here it is. So if you guys are on Instagram, you may not be able to see that clip. So I don't know if I can, if I can show it to you, but he's kind of joking around. He's like, here it is. And he shows a picture of an iPod and it's got the... Um, the classic like rotary dial <laughs> kind of mounted on the face of it. Let me see if you can see this. Oh, you're not gonna be able to see it because I got the green screen on. Um, but he's got the classic like rotary style um, from the old school, old school phones. You know, you put your finger in the hole, you go eight, and then you, brrr, and you go five, brrr, four. Brrr. Um, so he's got a picture of that, but it's like mounted on an iPod as a joke. So it's kind of funny. Actually, here it is, but we're gonna leave it there for now. So he's got it in his pocket. Before we get into it, let me uh, let me talk about a category of things the most advanced phones are called. So then he goes into the whole process of like, you know, where phones are at, what, how phones look, what exists today in the marketplace. Um, but just the way that he delivers that to build up that game changing um, technology as he introduces it to the world. So that was 13 years ago today. But in between there, there's a couple of other things I want to highlight. You know, in 84, which he talked about the Macintosh, that was a game changer. But something that you know not too many people may know about um, along the way there was a little bit of I'd say not even a little bit a lot of bit of uh, strife going on there was a lot of bit of struggle going on there was a lot of bit of you know the future of Apple going on because there was a power struggle you know and it was it came at the hands so Steve recruited and hired a CEO because they're like, well, this company's getting so big, um, it, it's getting too big, 
and it can't be run by you anymore, Steve. I mean, you did a great job, you and Waz, you got it started in your garage, but now we need to bring in the professionals. Now we need to bring in a real CEO, right? So Steve actually goes out and finds this real CEO. He actually goes out and recruits this real CEO who at the time <clears throat> was the CEO of, I believe it was Pepsi, right? So Pepsi is being led by a guy named John Scully. And Steve goes and he meets with Scully and he talks to Scully and he convinces Scully to come and join Apple. And one of the things I remember reading, you know, it was it was kind of funny what he what he said to him. He's like, "Listen. He's like, "What do you want to do?" He's like, "Do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life?" <laughs> right? Or or do you want to come and change the world? I mean, that's a pretty that's a pretty serious pitch. That's a pretty serious pitch. Do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life or or do you want to change the world? Now, at this point, you know, when they bring in, you know, Scully, I mean, Apple is a um I mean, it's a huge it's I mean, pretty much it's a huge company by then. You know, they ended up going public. They ended up going public and when they went public, they went from being a you know a small time operation to like instant 300 millionaires are created instantly when that happens so they went from being small time you know so what happens when you go public so basically you're a private company like my companies right now it's it's they're private meaning you know i own i don't disclose to the stock market the uh, the sec publicly traded, I don't have to produce the financials for the world to see, but when you go public, meaning you're on the stock market, meaning other people can buy a piece of your company, when that happens, then you end up in a situation where you can bring a lot of shares of your company to the market and people can buy it. So if, you know, think about some of these big companies that are public like Starbucks, Facebook, a lot of the different tech companies, um, you know, all the Bank of America, a lot of different banks, they have stocks. You can go as a public person and you can invest, whether it be on your phone, on an app like Robinhood or Square Cash app or whatever. Um, you can e-trade, you can go and you can buy a little share or part of a share of these companies and you can be an investor. You can start making money, right? But until that company goes public, nobody really knows what that company is doing. Nobody really knows how much that company's profits are, how much their losses are, how much it's worth. Nobody knows any of that. But Apple goes public and when they go public, um, they go public and immediately it creates, um, it creates 300 millionaires like overnight, right? That's literally what happens. So when you go public, Everybody gets to buy stock and then the value of your company goes up tremendously and it happens like that day. Um, so that's kind of one of those things that's going on um, with Apple. And they go public, when they first go public, they sell, it's in 1980, um, December 1980, they sell 4.6 million shares of the company at $22 per share. So why you think about that for a second? So this is you know nineteen eighty twenty two dollars today. Their company, their a share of their company. Let me see if I can see what what's the current what is it trading at? What is it trading at? Let's ask. Uh, should we ask Alexa or should we ask Google? They're both in the room. They're both listening to us right now. Um, hey Google, how much is a share of Apple? The price for Apple stock on NASDAQ is $358.98 as of 11.27 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time today, up 1.51% from last Friday. Damn. Okay. So that's as of 11.27. That's as of right at this moment if you wanted to buy a share of Apple, $300-something. So when they went public, it was 22 bucks a share. 
they sold 4.6 million shares to the public and they generated over a hundred million dollars just like that which was more at the time more capital than any um, initial public offering which is called an IPO any initial public offering since get this since Ford Motor Company in 1956 by the end of the day the stock goes from 22 to 29 bucks uh, and 300 millionaires were created because a lot of people in, in the early days you know when the company didn't have a lot of money to be paying out salaries they're like well can we pay you in stock we'll give you shares of stock as your, part of your compensation a lot of people are like okay sure because they see the promise they see the vision they believe in it um, or they just want to work and have fun and you know take less pay but get some stock so those people when they go public there's a period of time but after they wait over that period of time they can then sell some of their shares and even before you sell your shares based on how many shares of that company you own that values into what you are worth so now you got 300 new millionaires created just like that when Apple goes public that's pretty dope and so Apple's market cap was 1.778 billion at the end of its first day of trading so it's now a billion dollar company and that's 1980 that's before the Macintosh so 84 Macintosh 84 to 91 success with the Macintosh things are rolling and then in 90 you know in the 90s shit goes south things go sideways things go cross um, there's a lot of things going on they're trying to get you know there's the CEO uh, problem that they have they're trying to find jobs finds this guy John Scully and then there's this like power struggle and this is for business owners if you're building or you're um, starting a company something to keep in mind when you develop your structure and you are the founder you have to be careful because what happens with Steve is he ends up giving up too much control of his board he ends up giving up too much control of his company. So then there's this power struggle that's going on because people at Apple are like, we should be doing this, we should be doing that. There's this other company that's on the rise, Microsoft, we're getting our asses kicked. Um, we're in lawsuits. Um, this is happening, that's happening. They you know, are trying different stuff. It's not really working. Um, their other models of their computer are you know, eating sales of new models. So they've got all this stuff going on. The Apple II is too expensive um, to produce and is taking sales away from the low end, which is their Macintosh, which is their consumer product. And then in, you know, in uh, October of 1990, they, you know, released the Macintosh LC and they began to promote that um, computer by advising developer technical support staff to recommend developing applications right for the Macintosh rather than the Apple II. so that's a problem so they've got these different problems going on and they've got you know all of a sudden the Apple the Apple II, they got the Macintosh so they got these products sales are kind of being spread out some sales are shrinking there's a power struggle going on inside of the company and the power struggle comes down to the board and the board comes down to voting and the board decides that we need to go in a new direction. So the board meets and get this, this is the craziest part of it all. John Scully, the guy that Steve recruited with the whole do you want to sell sugar water do you want to come change the world the guy that he recruits into the company is a guy that brings together the board and says we need to find out what direction we're going we've got issues Steve is a problem let's take a vote is he in or is he out how does this happen is he in or is he out they decide He's out. That's right. He's out. So Steve Jobs, the founder, co-founder of Apple Computer, gets kicked out, gets voted out, basically, of his own company.
And now what happens? So now he's on the he's on the he's on the he's on the fringes of life, right? He's like, wait, 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 I'm out. How the hell am I out? You know, I started this thing, right? You remember the movie? Anybody see the movie Scarface? He's like, who put this thing together? Me. That's who. So he's having his like Tony Montana in the bathtub moment where he's all by himself and everybody's kind of deserting him. And so now he's out. Um, so what happens from there? What happens when you get kicked out of your company? What happens when you get ousted from your company? Because that's what happens to Steve Jobs. So I'll tell you. But not today. I'll tell you on the next episode of Storytime. So tomorrow we're gonna we're gonna be finishing up our story time. And tomorrow I'm gonna be talking to you about what did Steve do? He just gets kicked out of his own company, gets kicked out. Now what does he do? I'm gonna talk about his next adventure, his next venture, and how the twists of fate, if you will, or the twists of business, or the twist of just the way it was supposed to be, um, turns in to an epic return and an epic resurgence. Um, and at this, and at that point of return, Apple was about 90 days away from going bankrupt. We wouldn't even be having this conversation had it not been for his epic return. So tomorrow I'm gonna to be talking about um, what happens after Steve gets kicked out of his own company, what happens when he comes back, and how he took that comeback story and turned it in um, to the epic story that we know of today of one of the most successful uh, companies, most successful com consumer product companies, one of the most successful, uh, most profitable companies in the world today. So I hope you guys come back tomorrow for another episode. I'm excited to um, get into these next phases and share some more stories about Apple, some more stories about Steve, the comeback story like you've never seen or heard before. This is a true comeback story of what you can do if you're able to focus and you've got the guts and the focus and the persistence and the willingness to keep pushing through no matter what. Um, and luckily for us, he did or else we wouldn't be sharing this story. And if we were, it'd probably be on a much uh, inferior device or set of devices. So. Can't wait to have you guys back tomorrow. So thanks for tuning in. Um, share this video. Um, share it with some of your, your friends, your colleagues. Invite people to come back. We'll be back tomorrow morning for another episode of Storytime. We'll continue and we'll conclude with what happens next with Steve Jobs and the story of Apple Computer. So thanks again for tuning in. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. If you're on the Instagram, share this. You're watching on Facebook, one of the Facebook pages. Um, share this with your friends, share this with your colleagues, share this with your everybody's. And I'm excited to join you guys again or have you guys join me again tomorrow for another episode of Storytime. So thanks again. See you tomorrow. Be safe. I'll talk to you soon. Hey guys, Sunny here again. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that episode. I know I enjoyed it and I'm just super excited. Every time I look back at this story of Steve Jobs and this story and this history of Apple, the company, it's just, it's incredible, it's inspiring. It reminds me and hopefully it reminds you of just that really anything is possible if you're willing to take some chances, if you're willing to take some risks, if you're willing to uh, look at things differently if you're willing to try to look around corners you know there's the possibilities are endless and i'm excited for the next episode as well uh, thank you guys again for tuning in we'll be back for another live story time hopefully you can join live we'll be 9 a.m tomorrow morning if you're not able to make it to a live story time you can catch the replay on my facebook pages on instagram and of course you can listen to this episode tomorrow's episode and all past episodes on the YFYI podcast by going to yfyipodcast.com. 
Leave a rating, leave a review. If you do, take a screenshot, show me that you did, and I've got a free iHeart YFYI t-shirt for you for doing that because that's going to help the podcast get discovered. So I thank you again for listening, for all information, and for all episodes, yfypodcast.com, and look forward to catching you guys on the next episode of the YFYI podcast. And remember, this is the place where you come to learn how to build your business right once or else you will be doomed to have to build it again. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you soon.